invite you to open, uh, open up to 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. And Paul writes, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into, off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Killa and the household of Menisiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with you and your spirit. Grace be with you. Let's pray. God, you are a good, good Father, Lord, and I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you for the power of your word to change hearts, Lord, to change minds, and to save, Lord. And I pray, Lord, you would give us ears to hear this morning. Open our eyes to see what you have for us, Lord, and hearts to understand it, Lord. I pray your anointing on Jackie, Lord, that you would give him the words to speak to us this morning, the words that you would have us hear, Lord. And I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in all of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning, when I was looking for somebody to read, I said I got a lot of names today. Sometimes I Shanghai the guys when they're reading, don't know they have 14 names to pronounce. He did a pretty good job, though, huh? Nice, nice, yeah. I told him, just do them fast and confident. You're good to go. <laughs> Nobody else knows what's right or wrong, either. 
As we, uh, as we look at what we have, uh, we're going to close out 2 Timothy today. And remember, 2 Timothy, again, this is Paul's swan song. So this is the last thing Paul's, the uh, last thing he's going to say to Timothy. It's like, um, you know, everybody doesn't get the opportunity, but for him, this is his opportunity. He's, he knows he's going to die. He is uh, just waiting for them to take him out of the hole that he's in there in, uh, in Rome. They're going to... Uh, chop off his head. And so he knows that can come at any time. And so he sits down and he thinks, what do I want to tell Timothy? Timothy's the guy, if you go all the way back to the beginning of Paul's ministry, Timothy's the guy that gets saved the first, one of the first times they tried to kill Paul. Uh, they stoned him, if you remember, outside of uh, Iconium Lystra, uh, left him for dead. He got up and came back in. That's the town Timothy was in. So all of these things had an effect on him. Paul was a part of, of Timothy's conversion, getting saved, then walking in ministry. He traveled with Paul. He went to many places with him. Paul would send him to other churches that were struggling at this time. Timothy's in Ephesus. And, uh, and so Paul's coming to the end. He's trying to wrap up all his thoughts. We're going to just look at uh, verses 9 to 22 in chapter 4. But as he's wrapping it all up, He's at, at the summation, I guess, of, of everything that he's already said. He wants to glorify God. And he's going to teach us some things about doing that. About how it is that we can uh, glorify God through our struggles. How we can glorify God through our disappointments. Anybody ever had those? Struggles or disappointments? How we can glorify God in his provision. How God has provided for us. So we're going to take a look at that today. And hopefully the Lord will bring that through. So keep in mind, Paul is in a, not a very nice prison, in a hole in the ground. There's a little uh, creek that uh, bubbles up there. That's the water. That's uh, whatever food they drop in the hole. That's what they get. This is not prison like what we, what we might think of today. And it's in that place that we start to see Paul's, uh, um, the importance of Paul's friends. Like, sometimes we just like to hear from friends, don't we? Sometimes, I, I, if it, quarantine taught me anything, it's I'm not as much a hermit as I think I am. Right? We, there, there's a point, I think, where we, we're saying, man, I just would like to, to uh, have a touch point, a point where somebody, you know, get together or something. You know, phone's cool, but, but uh, sitting in my living room, staring out the window, <laughs> that's weird. And, and if you think about it, that's kind of where Paul's at. And his first word in verse 9 to Timothy is, do your best to come to me soon. So he's like, man, I, I can't wait. I'd like to see you one more time. And I was, I was thankful. Uh, many of you guys know my mom passed a, a couple of weeks ago. But I was thankful that prior to that, I got a chance, jumped on a bike, went down to Arizona, got to see her one more time. And it was nice. You know, it was not... Uh, um, you know, the story isn't, I, I got there and everything was great. No, Ma's dying. She, she doesn't really know I'm there. And, but it was good for me, my brothers, and, and I think it was good for my mom, just, you know, wh wherever she was at. And here, Paul's saying the same thing to Timothy. Man, let's see if we can get together one more time. Nobody at the end, right, when, when they, uh, uh, you know, finally 
shovel me off. I'm not going to say, man, I wish I could have spent a little more time at work. Or I wish I could have spent some more. It'll always be about people. It'll always be about, wish we could have had another barbecue or spent some more time, done something together. So <clears throat> Paul's telling Timothy, come. In Hebrews 13, 23, here's what we know uh, that, that occurs. This is what happens with Timothy. You should know <clears throat> that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. So a lot of people think uh, Paul wrote Hebrews. I'm not one of those. But uh, what we know about Timothy is Timothy starts to go through some of the same things Paul did, right? Sometimes following Christ means that we're going to have struggles and we're going to have disappointments and we're going to have persecution. Jesus told us that, right? And so Timothy begins to experience the same things. Earlier, you'd hear the same thing about Paul. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come to you if I can get released. If I get, if I get paroled, I'm going to come. It's a funny way to think about uh, missionaries, but that was the way things went for them. He says now in verse 10, uh, moving on from Timothy, For Demas, in love of this present world, has de- uh, deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. So he starts with Demas. Now Demas is somebody we've spent some time talking about. Demas was with Paul on a lot of his journeys. It says in Colossians 4, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. So Demas is there with him then. Philemon 24, and so do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. So these are all guys who were a part of what Paul did. But now at this point, and maybe you guys have experienced this as well, it's not only, hey, Timothy, come see me. Sometimes we have Demases in life. What was Demas? Demas has abandoned me. He, he fell in love with this present world and he has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. So he's gone off in a, in a different direction. And one of the things that we want to realize and recognize, and, and I think sometimes these are important things for us, there are, every time somebody leaves you, it's not bad. There's things called blessed subtractions, Right? There's times sometimes when you want, you know, when people are going different directions. We're going to see it today. We're going to, we're going to talk about Paul and Mark in a, in a moment. But, but we're going to see this idea where people, people have two different ideas about what's going to happen, right? You know what I mean? And, and so, you know, whether that's what's going on or whatever the, is happening in the heart of Demas, we don't know. But we know Demas left. Demas went left. Paul went right. And he mourned the loss of Demas. You know, Demas is gone. But that's not the end of the story, not for Demas nor for Paul. We're going to experience times when people let us down. Is there somebody here who has never been let down by a person? I'd like to meet you. Just, it's always nice to come face to face with miracles. We, we recognize, here's the reality, man. We're, if you don't buy the bit that we're broke and we mess up, I don't know what to tell you. And if your eyes are going to be solely on your friends and not on glorifying God, that's going to upset the apple cart. You've got to get your eyes off of that. Paul said, hey, Demas has deserted me. His friends are important to him. Timothy, come to me. But Demas has bailed, and he sent other people away. Look, Crescens has gone to Galatia. Crescens is, is going to, uh, to an area that Paul had visited, and I'm sure Paul's the one who sent him. Hey, 
you got to go, man. We, the time is short. You need to go get the word to, to Galatia. And I think for me, when I was kind of looking through this, I thought about Jason and Danielle. Uh, there's a lot of us here that are like, man, I miss those guys. But it was necessary for him to go to Kimberly. Now, just like here, Paul's like, Paul looks over at Crescent, so maybe Crescent wants to stay. Maybe Crescent is like, hey, I'm going to stay here and help you through this. But Paul's like, nah, you got to go to Galatia, man. God's doing something, and I need you to be a part of that. And so he, he sends Crescent to Galatia, and he sends Titus to Dalmatia. We'll look at Titus um, next week, but he sends Titus <clears throat> because the same thing. Hey, I need you to go. I need you to go be a part. And where he sends Titus is near the spot, near the spot where Paul was stoned, where Timothy got saved, where Timothy's family is. It's in that general vicinity. He's like, man, Titus, I need you, I need you to go here. I need you to take care of, of some things for me there. And the result is that Paul looks around and there's nobody left. Right? I got, I got this guy here and I got this guy there. And then he says in verse 11, Luke alone is with me. Now, Luke is his physician. Luke might even be his amuensis. He might be the one who's writing for him. The secretary, Luke, we know, uh, was, was very able to do that. So Luke is there probably taking care of him. He'd come visit him in the prison, drop down in the hole, take care of his wounds, take care of his illness, try to doctor him up because they didn't do that for you. Uh, back in those days. And so having a physician who was there with you is good. But he says, man, Luke, Luke is with him. Luke's going to be with him all the time. Now listen to this phrase. Then he says, speaking to Timothy, right? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me in ministry. Now, if you don't know the story about Paul and Mark, it goes back to Acts 15. And Acts 15 it says, now after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. That's the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So we're going to have our first... Uh, Church split. That's how, that's how it's going to start. How's it gonna, what's going to happen? Paul's like, I don't want to take Mark. He quit on us once. He's going to quit on us again. I don't want to take him. Barnabas says, I'm, I want to take him. So what do you do when two strong-willed people have different opinions? Well, it, I'm going to tell you what happened in, in Acts. In Acts, what happened was it says there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Paul and Barnabas, the first missionary team, they split up. They split up. And here's what preachers love to do. Preachers love to do this thing where they argue about who's right. Well, I'll make it simple for you. Ain't nobody right. We're all a mess. Paul was a mess. He was not some superhuman. He was a man. He had frailties and failures, as did Barnabas. But the reality is sometimes all our splits and subtractions aren't bad. It's not always bad. Now, if you were there in the moment, everybody, everybody's got the feel-bads, the, the hurt feelings, right? Like, oh, man, I can't believe Barnabas and Paul broke up. Barnabas is doing his thing. He's got together with John Mark, and they're 
doing their thing, and Paul chose Silas, and he takes off and continues doing missionary journeys, three more missionary journeys. Endless amounts of churches are going to be planted. We're not going to hear anything about Barnabas. Does that mean Barnabas didn't do nothing? You know there's a lot of people that didn't get their names in the Bible? There's a lot of events that haven't been recorded. But I, I can tell you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a case for the fact that Barnabas, uh, the son of encouragement, uh, did what he had always done. <coughs> Excuse me. The only reason there was a Paul is as the church was growing and people were looking around for what are we going to do? How are we really going to impact the world for the Lord? Barnabas got up and said, you know, I heard about this guy, Paul, and everybody threw him away. The church wasn't really sure about him, and he's kind of hard to get along with. He's a short guy. He's got little man syndrome. He's, got a, he's kind of ugly. He's not a great speaker. This is all truth. Barnabas says, I'm going to go get him. So Barnabas goes, finds Paul, gets him, says, hey, we should start doing something. You know, when the first missionary team took out, Barnabas was the preacher. And Paul was like the helper. And as they went out and began to do the work, we, they just start seeing God's call on Paul's life. And more and more, Paul starts taking over. And then Paul's teaching, and Barnabas was fine. He's the son of encouragement. His job was to encourage others. He stoked the flame under Paul and got Paul going. And then when they come around to do the next missionary journey, Paul's like, I ain't taking Mark. But that's not who Barnabas was. See, Barnabas, the guy who went and got Paul, is also going to be the guy who goes and gets Mark. All of our ideas in ministry will not always stay together sometimes they're going to run parallel they're not going to be we're not going to be sharing a lane anymore now now we're doing things going we're still going in the same direction but sometimes people break up so barnabas goes and he and he starts working with mark and paul goes and he has this incredible ministry now here's what i want you to know come all the way full circle Man, 30-some years have passed since the breakup. Never have they had, and we don't know of any other communication, no other time when we know that they've come together or discussed Mark until we come to 2 Timothy. And Paul in prison waiting to die says to Timothy, find Mark and bring him to me. Because at the end of the day, even though that was the cause of, of he and Barnabas going different directions, he's still his brother. You guys know God doesn't have everybody going the same way. One of the interesting things for me right now is to, is to look at, you know, there was, a, there was a point in ministry here, I've been here now better than 10 years, and there was a point in ministry here where Every time I took a step, I was tripping over Jason somewhere. And every time I, if I turned left or I turned right, it was me and him. As far as I knew, it was going to be me and him till the wheels fell off. But then there came a day where, where I felt led by the Lord to tell him, Hey, man, your fruit is ready. You're capable of, of leading a church. And right now, there's a group of people who need you. So Go. Now I'm not tripping over Jason. I don't see him. Our paths don't intersect anymore. 
But it doesn't stop him from being my brother. We're just running parallel now. And who knows what happens down the line. Prayerfully, there's other opportunities for intersection, right? But, and nor is it some bad blood thing like, like Paul and Barnabas got to. But the point is, they're still brothers. They're still running parallel. And at the end of the story, there's still unity. There's still unity. There's still Paul saying, man, I, I need Mark. Mark's useful for me. That's full circle for Mark. Mark, you're a dirtbag. I don't want you to Mark. Send Mark. Send Mark. I need Mark. I want to spend some time with him. He's useful for me. He goes on and says, now, Tychicus, I have, I have sent to Ephesus. Hey, this guy, I've, uh, again, I've sent him off. And he says, when you come, bring the cloak. Now, that's practical, right? He's talking to Timothy. When you come... It's almost winter. Come before winter, he wants them. Come before winter. I'm a little cold. I'm in a hole. There's no heater. So bring that cloak. I'd like to wrap up in that. And <clears throat> uh, he says, I left Carpus at Troas. But bring me my books. Bring me the parchments. Paul still has some things he wants to write. He still has some things that he wants to do. But even in all of this, we see Paul glorifying God through his struggles through the disappointments and acknowledging the reality that there is importance and value to friends. People matter in ministry. That's what ministry is. Ministry is not figuring out how to take care of a building. Ministry <clears throat> is figuring out how to take care of each other. What can we do for one another? How can we be there for one another? When somebody's in need, sending out a flag, answering the call, coming and being a part of what God's doing for it all. And these friends, not only is Paul going to say, man, I need, my, I need my friends, Timothy, I need you, bring Mark. I'm so glad Luke's here. I had to send other guys other places. But these same friends are also going to kick Paul back into play. One of the things that our friends do for us is they tell us the things nobody else will tell us. Or they're not really friends. That's acquaintances. Acquaintances will just be nice. But friends will say when you're wrong. Or if they think you're wrong. Or if they think something needs to be adjusted. So friends are going to keep Paul's direction going. It's going to hold him out of, of discouragement. It's going to encourage him to keep his eyes looking on the Lord. Um, first he's going to lay out this idea. Verse 14 He's going to talk about a guy who hurt him. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deed. So he lays out the problem. Here's the problem. Alexander, he did me great harm. He prays a prayer for him, right? Lord, get him. That's called an imprecatory prayer. <clears throat> imprecatory prayers are biblical. We just not, we're not always sure what to do. But everybody has prayed them. We read them and we go, oh, so I don't know, man. Here's David saying, God, Punch him in the mouth and knock out all his teeth. <laughs> and, and when we read it, we go, oh, that doesn't, seem very, that doesn't seem very holy. But then when we go to the real, when we're at home praying and somebody's done us wrong, we're like, oh, we know something. That, I, I, like David said, Lord, punch him in the mouth. Get him. It's called imprecatory prayer. It's, a, it's laying out our hurt to God and asking God to do something about it. And whenever we lay our hurt out to God, if you're really hurt, it's hard to do that 
and the, and the Bible just tells the truth about us. It's hard to do that in a way where we just, you know, say, hey, uh, I'm not hurt. I'm just really calm and everything's good, Lord, so forgive them. Sometimes, and sometimes it's punch them in the mouth. But here's, the, here's, why, here's why that matters. Listen, here's why that matters. Because in reality, in both instances, you're talking to God. You're not supposed to say, God, I'm going to talk to you as soon as I get my act together. Because that means you're not going to talk to God. Lord, as soon as my emotions aren't so hot and riled up within me, I'm going to talk to you. No, God says, talk to me. Talk to me in precatory prayers. Sometimes we, we see the prayers when Stephen's being stoned, right? He's being stoned and he lifts up his eyes and he sees Jesus in, in heaven and he says, Father, forgive them. Sometimes that stuff's right there, right? It's right there in the, in the midst. And sometimes it's, I'm hurt, hurt them. Because hurt people, that's what we want. Now, if you can't be honest with yourself, we, we all waste in our time. But if we're honest with ourselves, when we get hurt, we want somebody else to hurt. And the Bible writes down those prayers that people prayed. And here Paul saying, man, this guy hurt me, so Lord, repay him according to his deeds. Get him, God. I'm hurt. But it's going to be Paul's friends that are going to, to be that encouragement to him. It's when we have people that we can talk to and we, we are working our way through our feelings. Is, do you guys ever do that? Like um, you're mad and you just need to sit down and talk with somebody. And sometimes just talking with somebody, you're able to work your way through your frustration or anger or whatever and come out on the other side. And <clears throat> so same for Paul. Paul's going to use the Lord for that. And Paul's going to use his friends for that. He says in verse 15, he warns the others, beware of him yourself. For he strongly opposes our, our message. So this guy's an enemy. He's going to come against whatever we're doing. And then he goes on. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me. Anybody ever felt deserted? When I needed help, nobody was there. I've, been, I've heard all these things. So I know they bounce around in your guys' heads. I've always been there to help for this or that and the other. And then when I needed help, nobody came. Good. You're in good company. Paul felt that way too. But he could still glorify God through the struggle and the disappointment. He still recognized he needed his friends, right? And the things that he struggled with, listen to what he does with them. He says, nobody was with me. Everybody deserted me. May it not be charged against them. That's the same thing as, Father, forgive them. So you have earlier, get them, God. And then a sentence later, forgive them. Do you guys get it? Because that's how life works. That's how it really works. You know, nobody, I don't care how good they look on the outside, how absolutely holy, nobody's got it right all the time. Nobody has the exact right response. Sometimes we're good at keeping the monster in a cage. You guys know what I mean? So something happens, okay, I got the monster in the cage. Quick, close the door. All right, now I'm just going to hold it together until I get away from all these people, and then I'm opening the cage. Yeah, some people can't do it. Sometimes the cage just gets ripped open, and blah, the monster comes out. But this is what it really is to be a human being. 
to be a human being, we battle with our emotions. We don't always make the right responses, but sometimes we do. We're not always wrong. Sometimes we, sometimes we respond good, sometimes we don't. But in the midst of all of it, as we look at it, Paul, as he's closing out his saying, he just wants to glorify God in it. I want to glorify God for the times I've said, get him, God, and I want to glorify God for the times I said, forgive him, Lord. I want to glorify God in it all because I'm not going to, I don't, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, nobody, I'm not suggesting for anybody just to live life with the monster outside the cage. Some of you guys need to get the monster in the cage and keep him there. <laughs> I'm not trying to excuse poor behavior. I'm just saying that's real, Right? Sometimes, sometimes I'm on a ragged edge. Kathy will say to me, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, man, the cork is barely in the bottle. And I can't just let it out a little. If I, that cork comes off, every, it's going to be a mess. So just, just leave me in my little dark space while I hammer that cork back in the bottle. Right? Because the wrath of man's never going to accomplish the righteousness of God. That's what scripture declares. So, so, but that's real. It really happens. Those things really happen to Paul. Paul and Barnabas, the Bible says they had no small discord. <laughs> that means they had a knockdown, drag out brawl over taking Mark or not. That's Bible speak for they had, they got hot. And they got so hot. As far as I know, Paul and Barnabas didn't ever talk again. Paul and Mark did. So we have this realization, man, this is real. This is what happens. This is how life actually goes. But it's the encouragement of our friends, the presence of our friends, those people around us that go through the hard times with us, the struggles with us, that hopefully are an encouragement to keep us on track, keep us moving in the right direction. Now, here's how Paul brings this full circle, <coughs> excuse me, full circle to the idea of glorifying God. Verse 17, but the Lord stood by me. Everybody else left me. And God forgive them. But the Lord was there. And one of the things we'll come to realize as we walk this path out is that God is always with us. It's easy to see the light when you're in pitch black. So sometimes it's in the harshest times and our hardest issues that he's easiest to see. But he's always there. He's always guiding. His voice is always in my ear. Always, always in my ear. Now what do I mean by that? I feel God's presence like I know when I'm about to do something I shouldn't do. I know when I'm about to, you know, when I'm going to let the cork out of the bottle and, and spew... Uh, fizz all over the place when I, when, I, when I ought not, and I can hear this still small voice like, yeah, don't do that. And if you're like me, sometimes you listen. And sometimes you just nudge the cork a little more and bloop, <laughs> out it goes. But I can acknowledge that through it all, the Lord is with me, and through it all, He is strengthening me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. He's like, I want, the one thing that, that Paul was sure of was he wanted people to hear it. 
it's kind of encouraging to me, and maybe this is weird, it's kind of encouraging to me how often the world says Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. Well, then what that means to me is, well, they're just real. So what they mean by hypocrite is a Christian's a hypocrite because they say do one thing and they do another. Yeah, like all of us. Like, like everybody. What do you mean? Oh, you know. <laughs> Come on. Somebody here is going to, Rich probably going to go to McDonald's. Get a burger, fries, and a Diet Coke. That is the definition of a hypocrite. Might as well get a real Coke, right? But we can acknowledge... <clears throat> can we, can't we acknowledge the, the reality that we all know what we ought to do and then the actual doing of what we ought to do sometimes is different? And, and that's where the struggle is for all human beings. But a Christian is acknowledging, look, the struggle is real and I know that this is what I ought to do. And so the burden on Paul was I want to let people know that this is real, that there really is uh, uh, truth and consequences. There's, there is the life that is submitted to Christ that leads to life, and there's a life in rebellion to Christ that leads to death. Utter destruction. And so he's like, I, I, want, to, I want people to know, that not that I walk perfectly. Paul didn't always do everything right. Even though he was uh, a, an apostle of God and filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah, sometimes he got angry. Sometimes he got mad. Sometimes he was discouraged. And the scripture tells us that the Lord, the Spirit of God, came to him to encourage him. It's okay. That's how real life happens. But we can still glorify God in it because in the midst of it all, it is God that is our strength and our shield. It's God that's delivering us through. Listen to what Paul says next. So I was rescued from a lion's mouth. You remember where he is? Mamertine prison. I've been there. Hole in the ground. Straight down. They just took a prisoner over on a rope, dropped him in a hole, and left him there. He either died or they had him there till they killed him. There was no, no food. Maybe they throw crumbs down in the bottom and everybody fights over it. There's no cells. There's just one big round musty hole in the ground. And Paul says, I've been rescued from the mouth of lions. Now, a lot of us might look at that and go, that, that, is that what rescue looks like? Yeah. Do you know why that's rescue? Because he could sit down in that pit and not be afraid. He could sit down in that pit and not worry. He could sit down in that pit and know that tomorrow, if they drop the rope down, call my name, bring me out, and I meet the headsman's axe, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. God will get me home. This is the life of the believer. The life of the believer is not the perfect life that never sins, never fails, never has to confess, never has to repent. Although that's what some people think, but the life of the real believer is a life of, of brokenness, of, of, of great um, victories and defeats, of stumbling and falling and getting back up and, and making good decisions and sound decisions, making bad decisions and messing up. But 
in it all, not being afraid because you realize that it's the Lord who's standing with you. It's God who will deliver you. Your hope is in him. He has delivered me from the mouth of the lion. The devil is like a roaring lion wandering around seeking whom he may devour. And the devil doesn't get to devour me. And I might get arrested and I might struggle and I might have problems with illness or problems with other things in my life. All these things may happen, but in the midst of all of those things, I can say, God's going to get me home. Paul would write, I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded he, the Lord, will keep me to that day. Sometimes in that experience, we're going to find places where we go different directions from one another, running parallel toward the Lord, doing different things. But one thing's for certain, in the end, we all come together again in the heavenly kingdom, right? In God's kingdom. He brings us together in that place. I was rescued. The Lord brings me to his kingdom. To him be the glory. To him. Glorifying God. Glorifying God and the friends that deserted him. Glorifying God and the friends that stood by him. Glorifying God and the friend that he broke up with and the friend that they get back together with. The, the reunion within the family of God to continue to do the work of the Lord. Glorifying God in all of it. Recognizing God's protection doesn't mean I never feel pain. God's protection means I don't go to hell. God's protection doesn't mean nothing's ever hard. God's protection means through all the difficulty, I will arrive at home. I will make it home. Because Jesus Christ is covering me. Because of the grace of God. Because of God's forgiveness. Because of God's touch. He will get me home. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 121. He said, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, who who is the maker, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on the right hand. The sun will not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your life. He has you in his hand. And when we close our eyes here, we open our eyes in his presence. Why? Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. The path of life always finds its culmination in his presence. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forevermore. You're rising up and you're laying down. You're going out and you're coming in. It's two different ways of saying your birthday, your death day. Wherever you go, in or out, up or down, the Lord God has you. He will get you home. He will get you home. Then Paul talks about the special relationships that he held on to. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of, of Onsephorus. He's saying, listen... <clears throat> I want to remember these guys. These are the people that have been serving with me for a long time. Priscilla and Aquila. You heard of them, right? So he's talking about them. He's saying, hey man, greet them. Say hello to them, Timothy. So they're with Timothy in Ephesus. So we already know uh, Onesiphorus is with him. So he's saying, greet his family, his family. 
He's gone. Greet his family. Give love to them. Verse 20, he says, now, I want to give you an update on what's going on. Erastus remained at Corinth. So Erastus is, is in Corinth. He's, this is a prayer list. Hey, Timothy, I'm going to be gone. You need to know what's going on with the mission. So Erastus, he's in Corinth. I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. So we need to pray for Trophimus. Timothy, don't forget about that. Do your best to come to winter. He's thinking again, Timothy, come. Timothy, come. Get here before it gets too cold. I don't have a coat. They just threw me down in this hole. When it gets cold, I'd like to have something to cover me up with. Come before winter. Eubulus, he sends greetings, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. These are all people we don't know. But these are all people, Paul, wherever Paul was, this is what he understood. Ministry is about people. Walking with the Lord is about walking side by side with people. Recognizing and having grace for one another that we're not all perfect. Recognizing and having grace for one another that we don't always do the right things. I, if I had a nickel as a preacher, how many times I've heard someone say, I thought they were a Christian. I thought this person was a Christian. What you really mean is you thought they would do better by you. That's not the same thing. Being a Christian means I, I trust Christ for my failures. <clears throat> so, yeah, if they're failed, hopefully they are a Christian. That's, that's, their, that's, their, that's their shield, right, the Lord? When people let you down, it's just not a reason to turn from the Lord. It's a reason to glorify the Lord. God, I give you glory that you don't let me down. You're here with me. And then we can be a word of encouragement to them. People aren't perfect. People will not ever be perfect. And God has those kind of people everywhere. Why, there's one sitting next to you right now. And there's probably one sitting behind you. <coughs> but the ministry, the church is people. Look, the governor can come out tomorrow and say, you guys can't get together, you're not allowed to go to church. But the church is not the building. The church is people. The church is relationships. It's the relationships we still have. The people we reach out to, we want to walk with in ministry. We want to give glory to God because he's brought amongst us imperfect people that reflect who we are. And here's the neat thing. When God brings people in your life, if you ask yourself, you know, I keep running into the same kind of person. Anybody ever feel that way? I'm just in my normal life, and then this particular type of person. Maybe it's a type of person that annoys you. And this same, and they come, one, one comes in your life, and they're there for a while, and then they go, and then a few months later, whatever, another person like that, and you start to think to yourself, Lord keeps bringing me the same kind of people. You may want to ask yourself why that is. Lord, why? Why are you bringing those people like that? Those, those people bug me. Huh. Do you ever think maybe you bug them? Do we ever think sometimes, this comes out really good in my marriage. <laughs> Kathy's nervous, but if I say this right, it won't be bad. So, when, uh, when people ask me, you know, they'll say to me, man, Jackie, what, what did you do to get a wife like Kathy? And I go, I don't know. Man, I, I hit the jackpot. God loves me more than he loves everybody else. 
And then another thought passes through my mind. Or God's punishing Kathy. She's, she's, having to, she's having to pay extra for something. I, I don't know. When we look at the relationships with people, what we want to do is recognize that it's the grace of God that carries us through. We're all going to have times where we love each other and we don't. We're going to have times where we get along and we're going to have times where we don't. But God's with us and we need each other to get it done. And we have to have grace for one another in that time. And sometimes God's going to close door, doors on different things at different times. It's not bad. Sometimes God may close a door for me and open a door for you, but it's okay. And that closing and opening may put us in two different directions. That's okay, too. We're all still walking the path of life, coming to the Lord, aren't we? Have grace. Be a son of encouragement. I, to be honest, I, I I struggle with wanting to be like Paul. But I know I do it. I know I look at guys who have let me down and I don't ever want to do nothing with them again. Yeah? Just telling the truth. But I'm thankful that when I'm like that, somebody's a Barnabas. Maybe I won't be. Maybe I'll be the Paul all the way through. Right? And, but somebody else will be the Barnabas. Listen, this is what Paul said about the body of Christ. Many parts, one body. You're not all eyeballs. You're not all noses. You're not all ears. You're not all hands. You're not all feet. But you all have a part to play. You're not all Pauls. And you're not all Barnabases. And none of us are the same thing every time. But God in his manifold grace supplies within the body of Christ both. So Paul will keep people accountable for their sin. And Barnabas will encourage them until maybe they can get it, get it right. Both are in the body. Both are moving together. Both are accomplishing what God has. And then we come to Paul's last phrase, the Lord be with you. May the Lord be with you, with your spirit, and may grace be with you. Those are the things we've got to remind ourselves, right? Lord be with you. God be with you. Whether we go this way or that way. Whether we're in Idaho or, God have mercy on you, California. <laughs> the Lord's spirit is in both places. Yeah. My. Are they? Good. Whether you're in California or in God's country in Idaho, we know, we know there's probably more grace here than there is there. Look, the Spirit of God's there, and we all need God's grace, right? We all need God's Spirit, and we got to be okay with that. That's how real ministry happens. Paul says goodbye. Well done, Timothy. Bring me my cloak. I don't, know, I don't know if Timothy ever got there. I don't know if he made it. But I know that Paul was delivered from the mouths of lions even though the headsman's axe got him. I know that Paul's heart was right toward Mark at the end. 
and there was some sort of reconciliation for Mark's failure. That's just real life. Sometimes we come and we get together and we say, well, when I go to church, everything's supposed to be perfect. Well, was it perfect at your house before you came? No? Crazy. What about in your car in the parking lot? Was it perfect right then? Pulling in the parking lot? Nobody was hollering? It's not going to be perfect in here because it's made up of you and me. Let's have grace for each other. We're going to mess up. It's okay. Forgive one another. When you don't feel like forgiving, try to keep the cork in. You can tell God, get him, Lord. Get him, Lord. Try to keep the cork in. Have grace and love for one another. That's how we make it through. Listen, you are saved because Jesus Christ is going to cover you with his perfect blood that he shed for the remission of sin. So when you die, you're not going to stand before God and God's going to get a list of good do's and don'ts. You did all the do's and you didn't do all the don'ts, you get in. That's not how it works. You stand before a holy God, you will stand before a holy God, a wretch. When you see his holiness, you're going to go, there's no way. I have no, Paul did the same thing. There's no way. I, I, I fall short. Isn't that what the Bible says? For all have sinned and do what? Fall short of the glory of God. God is so majestic. When we see him, we're going to be blown away. But this is the beautiful part of salvation. Jesus Christ throws his arm around you. He covers you. And when he brings you to his dad, he says, I want to present to you Jackie without spot or wrinkle. Not one blemish. Not because I have no blemishes or no failures, but because he does what? He covers them with what? His blood. So when I stand in that place and the Father throws his arms open to me and says, welcome home, I got there because of Jesus. Now there's a fine line in that reality that says, well then it doesn't matter what I do. I don't know if that's right. Right? Because if you value the sacrifice Jesus made, then you want to live a life worthy of the sacrifice, don't you? Don't you want to try to walk the way he wants you to walk? It's not just throwing everything to the wind and saying, I got it, it's all good. Now, I'm going to trust Jesus for my failure, but I want, to, I want to try by his grace and by his strength every day to be the man he wants me to be. And when I fall short, he covers me. Isn't that good news? When I don't measure up, he covers me. When I pray the wrong prayer, he covers me. He covers you too. And he covers the brother you're frustrated with. And he covers the one you're not. One great, big, happy, dysfunctional family. Welcome to the body of Christ. What unifies us is his blood. Remember that. It'll help you have grace for one another. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can come together, that we can gather, that we can open your word, that we can hear the final words of Paul. 
Last book he wrote. His last charge. <coughs> Timothy, be ready. Preach a word. Love your friends. Keep them close. Understand that even when you keep them close, sometimes your friends are going to let you down. When they do, you're going to react with grace or without, but you trust God in either way. Allow Him to cover you because it's for His glory we do anything. Because Jesus says this. He says, on the day when it's all over, He's going to take all that have been redeemed. He's going to take all of creation and everything that He's covered and that He's restored, and He's going to present it to the Father for His glory. He's going to say, Dad, be glorified in the redeemed. Look at all that was saved. Not all that was perfect. Look at all, look at all that was saved by the grace of God. So, Lord, as we walk through the real, help us not use as an excuse for sin or unforgiveness one way or the other. Help us use the grace of God as our shield from the lies of the enemy that would tell us you can't do it. You're not good enough. May we remember that your word declares that a righteous man, a justified man, falls seven times in a day and rises again. So surround us, Lord, with family that cares about each other. Surround us, Lord, with people that will let us down and people who will lift us up. Because we learn something every time. We're encouraged every time. And each and every time we have an opportunity to be like Jesus for someone else. Because perfect love covers a multitude of sin. So God, be glorified as we prayerfully in this place, we live out real faith in front of real people. We really have grace for each other. We really care about one another. So God, we pray you be glorified and magnified here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.